Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. Uh, a very warm welcome to you all. Um, my name is Rich. I'm one of the pastors here, uh, and it's my privilege uh, to open up God's Word with you today. Um, and we, we have started a series in the book of Daniel, um, which is... Uh, kind of about halfway through uh, your Bibles. If you have a Bible, the words will come up um, on the screen. It's in a portion of Scripture called the Minor Prophets. Um, Although if you read the story of Daniel, there's anything but minor about him um, in terms of his contribution um, and what God walks him through and um, gives him grace for. Um, But um, he is is a man of God, and we will see that um, as we work through our passage today. We'll be in chapter 1 to begin with. and, and, and I wanted to, well, um, I just wanted to pick up on a particular um, prophetic word that Davina brought at the end of our time of praise together, just about boldness. Um, because I think, I, th- I think boldness is, is, is frequently, um, I, think, I think boldness in our culture um, needs to make a comeback. Um, and what, what I mean by that is I think often when we, um, when we find ourselves in situations, we, can, we, we often find ourselves rationalizing um, a situation or a circumstance that ultimately means that we can navigate away from being bold. Um, and I think actually God wants to restore to us something of a bold spirit. Um, and now when we looked at our vision um, at the start of the year, the first element of our vision is that we believe God has called us to raise up 300 spiritually big people. And the B in big stands for bold. We are to be a bold people that are on the front foot. And actually our passage today um, is an example of somebody who makes a very bold decision. And in the face of such opposition, he just stands firm in that decision and doesn't move. He doesn't try and negotiate. He doesn't try and, and, and navigate. His, like, I mean, God gives him grace to be able to navigate the situation. But he is, he is unwavering in his boldness to stick to what he believes is right. And I think, as a, I think in our culture, what, what, what society needs now more than ever is people that are bold. And I think even when you look at um, you know, the events over this week, uh, our queen, was, she was a bold woman. She stood in the face of much opposition and was bold. If you look at her addresses over the years, she became increasingly bold in her proclamation and declaration of Jesus as Lord of her life. And I think we mustn't... We, and, and, if, and if our nation needs anything at this time, it's boldness. It's boldness... With the gospel, it's boldness to share, it's boldness to stand up for justice, it's boldness to show mercy, it's boldness to do what is right. And I wasn't going to start there this morning, but I just felt off the back of Davina's word, there's something prophetic for us to take hold of in that. Where we just resolve in our heart and say, Lord, you know what, when I face circumstances, just as we'll see with Daniel, when I face those circumstances and situation, Lord, give me boldness. 
I'm just going to pray for us quickly before we start. Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord, for a supernatural boldness for us. Lord, I thank you that you have called us uh, to shine your light into this part of North London. Lord, into communities, into workplaces, into neighborhoods. Lord, wherever we find ourselves, Lord, to shine the light that you've deposited inside of us to a world around us. Lord, I pray we would be bold in shining that light. Lord, if that means advocating for people, if that means showing mercy, Lord, if that means speaking up for justice, if that means um, sharing our faith with a friend, if that means praying for somebody that's sick, Lord, I pray you would give us boldness, boldness that is unrelenting, boldness that won't let go, Lord, of what you've called us to, Lord, and won't tire until we see the fullness of all that you've come to do in your kingdom um, amongst us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, So we're going to be in um, Daniel chapter 1. A little bit of context here. Um, So... Uh, The book of Daniel describes a time when the nation of Israel um, were really up against it. Um, The nation of Israel have basically been overthrown. The city of Jerusalem um, has been overthrown. And King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonian Empire um, has basically um, just raised it to the ground. He's come in and he's taken captives out of Jerusalem, out of uh, the people of God, the nation of Israel um, and Judah as it was then, um, and basically carried them off to Babylon. And part of Babylon's uh, military strategy was to take uh, what were the promising or rising young stars um, of whatever uh, nation they defeated um, and essentially to enter them into a re-education program. Um, And and by that, they would then assimilate Babylonian um, culture, Babylonian literature, Babylonian customs, traditions, um, even down to um, the food that they would eat, as we'll see. Um, And and that was all a part of this re-education program. And so essentially, any uh, nation that was conquered by Babylon, um, they learn how to walk, talk, um, act, and eat like Babylonians. And uh, what we'll actually see uh, in our passage uh, today is actually Daniel's incredible boldness in the face of that um, to actually um, uh, to actually uh, not give way um, to any sense of change of identity. Now, externally, he un- takes on all of the learning, the wisdom, the culture, um, but internally, he refuses to move from the identity that God has spoken over him. And within this, within this structure, this re-education program, um, the way it would work was you would have um, a group, and Daniel has a group. Um, there's uh, four of them, Daniel, and then there's Hananiah, Michelle, um, and Azariah, and essentially they would have a steward that would act like a, a tutor, if you like, that would kind of coach them, mentor them along. And then above him, there would be um, the chief of the unit who would oversee this program um, of re-education. Um, and we're going to jump in um, at chapter one. So we're right at the start um, of these guys beginning um, their program. And in chapter one, uh, verse eight uh, through to verse 16, it says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food and with the wine uh, that he drank. 
Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. And so these few verses, they describe Daniel taking a stand. And, and, and Daniel's not going to defile himself, is the word that he uses, with the king's food or wine. And it was a bold ask. It was a bold ask for this reason. These guys are in captivity, and they've been, they've been forced into this re-education program. And for Daniel to stand up and say, I'm not going to do that, was punishable by death. Essentially, it was an act of treason. To, to, to go against what the king had ordered um, and mandated um, would actually probably have led to death. Um, uh, or he could have been kind of kicked off the program. He could have been um, kind of just completely uh, disregarded and, and chanted off to where all the other captives had been um, rehoused and resettled, and um, that would have been the end of him. But actually, um, in the midst of this boldness, we see that actually God uh, gave Daniel favor and compassion. And instead of receiving punishment from the chief of the eunuchs, the chief of the eunuchs kind of entertains his question, which is a little bit odd. Somebody that's in direct authority basically gives him an answer as to why he can't. And he basically says, well, if, if, if I do that, then it's my head that's on the line. What you're asking of me is unreasonable because in, in, it means that I'm going to probably get killed. And I fear um, for my Lord and what he will do to me. And then uh, in verse 11, uh, Daniel then decides to go to the steward that is over this little group of four. And he says, okay, fine, test us for, let's not go, let's not go all the way. Daniel's not being obstinate here. He's not being like difficult. He's not trying to be like, like really obstructive and rude and obnoxious. He's saying, okay, fine, test us for 10 days, just vegetables and water. At the end of 10 days, then you come and see and observe for yourself and you, you make a judgment. You make the call whether we should or shouldn't. It shows incredible faith um, on Daniel's part to trust that as he does that, God will actually, um, God, God will actually supernaturally nourish them um, and actually give them uh, strength um, as opposed to all of this other rich food um, that would have been eaten by all of the other youths, um, as it says in our passage. Um, now, interestingly here, Within the program, they would have been exposed to all sorts of things, um, from the different teachings, customs, um, even the intricacies of, of, of pagan worship, um, what that would have looked like, why they would do that, um, and even down to what they would eat, how they would eat, hence the king's um, food and wine from his table. Um, but 
why does Daniel then make a stand on this particular point? Why, why in the midst of everything else does he make this stand about food? You see, because it says in verse 17 that actually God, I mean, there's a passage for next week, so we'll get into it, but it's our passage for next week, but it says that God, God gave them um, all, uh, gave skill in all literature and wisdom, so they had tremendous learning. So God actually kind of educated them and gave them grace to study and learn and understand these things. So why food? He's going to consume all of this other Babylonian culture, but he won't consume their food. And the reason, the reason is that food, is, it, it, the significance of food is kind of lost on us in a way. It was a very significant thing, um, particularly um, in... Uh, this time, um, but it's also uh, a very significant thing, particularly for God's people. Um, we'll see that in just a second. Um, essentially, to share a meal with somebody um, is not about just getting your fill because you're hungry, right? It's not about just getting through lunch so that you can get back to work or whatever. Um, it actually represented a hospitality. It, it, it demonstrated a welcoming, it demonstrated a fellowship or a friendship or a uni, unity of people coming together. And we often see that elsewhere in scripture. People, people sit down to eat together as an act of joining together. And for Daniel, it, uh, as I said, it would have been even more significant as one of God's people, given that they were given uh, quite extensive rules about what they could and couldn't eat. Um, in the law, so uh, the book of Leviticus, uh, chapter 11, gives very detailed um, understanding of what the people of God could and couldn't eat. Again, in Deuteronomy 14, um, there's, there's another description and that just sets out uh, the way they were to conduct themselves, how they were to prepare the food, um, and things like that. And so Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Now, there's several ways that this food in particular could have defiled Daniel. Um, either um, it could have been that some of the food that was presented was forbidden in the law. So from uh, those verses in Leviticus 11, it may well have been that some of that food was actually um, forbidden. And they, he wasn't, um, under the, the Jewish law, he wasn't allowed um, to eat it. Um, except wine isn't forgiven, so maybe that's not the reason. But another reason actually could have been um, that the food and the wine um, was offered to pagan gods. And so actually what they, what they would have done is they would have, taken, um, they would have taken animals and sacrificed them to pagan gods, and then the food um, would either have gone to the king's table or it would have been shared um, around a meal. And so some of this food... Um, would have been, may well have been offered um, to pagan gods, the wine poured out um, in honor of pagan gods, and then it was brought um, into this re-education program for the young men um, to feast on. And perhaps the third reason, and I think probably the most persuasive reason, um, is that actually to have eaten the food would have represented a friendship or a union with Nebuchadnezzar that Daniel wasn't comfortable with. You see, the first two reasons are according to Jewish customs, which is essentially what the Babylonians were trying to eradicate because they wanted them to assimilate Babylonian customs and culture. So it was about getting rid of something. 
But this third reason, forming a friendship and a union, is not about destroying, get rid of anything. It's about creating a union. It's about creating something new. It's about forming a bond between Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. And so Daniel asked the chief of the eunuchs to not defile himself um, by eating this food. And as I mentioned, it's a very significant act for Daniel um, to to live according to the Mosaic law um, that we read in um, Leviticus. And so um, he's, he, he turns away from forming this uh, relationship with Nebuchadnezzar through the accepting um, of food. Um, because actually, in order to um, have formed that relationship with Nebuchadnezzar, um, would actually have meant for him to have gone against or re- be released or turn his back on his relationship with God. And so in that moment, by finding union through food with Nebuchadnezzar would have meant um, destroying or turning his back on or eroding his relationship with God. Daniel wasn't prepared to do that. And now that might sound a bit harsh. Um, Why can't Daniel have multiple friends? Um, Why can't he be a friend of God and a friend of Nebuchadnezzar? Um, I get that, except this relationship isn't just about friendship. It's not a friendship of equals. It's not a mutual relationship. The friendship, in as much as it is about friendship um, and fellowship and joining together, it's also about authority. Because you see that Nebuchadnezzar, as we see throughout the book of Daniel, he actually increasingly um, sets himself up as a demigod. He essentially um, gets to the point where he self-proclaims himself as a deity. And actually what we find is, um, in order to get to that point, So there's an authority deal that's going on, that in order for Daniel to eat that food, it would be to come under Nebuchadnezzar's authority, but it would also mean coming out from under God's authority. Daniel's not prepared to do that. And so he says, with this eating of food, I can't do that because I will not come under your authority. And perhaps that's why the punishment would have been quite so severe, because it would have been uh, to go against Um, it would have been to go against uh, what Nebuchadnezzar has decreed. Um, And now, this this idea um, actually kind of um, is this idea of not being able to to be tied to two things is actually quite common throughout Scripture. Um, And we read in James uh, chapter 4, verse 4, James writes and says, uh, Do you not know that friendship with the world or Nebuchadnezzar in this case, friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You see, you can't have a foot in both camps. Either Jesus is Lord, or Nebuchadnezzar is Lord. And Daniel looks at it on the face of it and goes, well, I mean, God, God, the, the Lord God who gave us the commandments, the Lord God who led us out of Egypt, surely he is the God that offers salvation and deliverance. Why am I going to turn and put my confidence in Nebuchadnezzar? In fact, it's even starker than that. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, God says to the Israelites, you shall have no other gods before me. 
full stop, that's it. <laughs> there's, no, there's no ifs and buts in there. You shall have no other gods before me. And so Daniel takes this stance, and within taking this stance, God shows him favor and compassion. And we see this kind of dialogue or, or, or reason that the chief of the eunuchs gives. Um, and um, then as we move on, Daniel then turns to the steward and says, fine, test us for 10 days and, and then compare and then compare. And what we see actually here is part of, God's, um, part of God's grace to him in this moment is to actually give him a favor to be able to have this dialogue. And he shows him compassion by giving him wisdom of knowing how to navigate this situation and circumstance. And yet Daniel is absolutely steadfast that he's not going to defile himself with, with that food. With the food that, that probably would have been uh, offered to idols, drink that would have been poured out. Um, and he's going to restrict himself to just vegetables and water. In the same way that Daniel um, is actually kind of um, invited, it's not quite the right word, but in the same way that he's kind of instructed um, or, or presented with this opportunity to eat the food and drink the wine um, that, that, that re represents somebody trying to replace themselves in his life, um, trying to replace God in his life, um, and in that moment, trying to rob him of that peace and that security and that identity that he would find in God. Um, we've actually seen this before. And right back in Genesis 3, the story of Adam and Eve, we see, we see a serpent that is more crafty than all of the other animals. And, and, and the serpent represents the enemy. Satan comes to Adam and Eve and he presents an opportunity to them. And says, did God really say not to eat from any tree? And, and, and in the, even in that moment, he begins to twist God's words. And, and then he offers the fruit of this tree. And he says, well, actually, no, God just knows that if you have this fruit, then you'll be like him. No good from evil. He's just, he's, just, he's, just trying to, he's, he's just trying to restrict you in what you can do. There's nothing wrong with it. Just go for it. Like, what, you know, what is it? It's just fruit. It'll just nourish you. That's it. Like, um, why, why would you not take the fruit? And so in the same way the serpent deceives Adam and Eve, who, unlike Daniel, they don't resist. They don't take a stand. And they eat. And in that moment, of eating the fruit, they're robbed. They're robbed of something. They're robbed of their innocence. They begin to make clothes for themselves and hide from the Lord. And they're, ro they're robbed of their relationship with God. And in Genesis uh, chapter 3, verse 9, it says um, that, the, that the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? And Adam and Eve have hidden themselves away for shame. And all of a sudden, that innocence is lost. And where Adam and Eve and the Lord had walked together, now through their disobedience, through this new bond that they've now formed with sin, that's entered their heart and broken that relationship with God. And they've replaced God with their own desires. 
They've replaced God with seeking and pursuing something else. And as a result of that, um, Genesis chapter 3, we see there's judgment. They're banished from the gardens. Ultimately, their lives will now expire. Um, they, will, they will die um, as a result of their disobedience. And the Bible says that it's the same with all of us that are born after Adam and Eve. That where sin had now defiled God's perfect world, all of us were born into this broken relationship with God, a fractured bond between us. And if we're going to come back into relationship with God, then it's got to be fixed. But you see, there is hope. Because Daniel was part of God's chosen people. Daniel knew his identity as one of God's chosen people. And within that, as I talked about in, in, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, God gave very specific rules um, about how they were to live and how they were to conduct themselves. And the whole point of that is actually so that God's chosen people can live in community and relationship with him. So that that relationship that was broken through sin can now be restored. It's an example of how God reconciles people to himself. And yet actually we see from the people of God that actually as a nation there was disobedience after disobedience after disobedience. And, 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 and there, are, there, there are glimmers of hope at times, um, but as a nation they keep falling short. Um, and they repeatedly exchange that relationship with God for security and other things. They repeatedly turn um, to other things. And so though we have one instance here in Daniel who seems to be a, a shining light of taking a stand for the Lord, let's not forget that he's in captivity, which actually, as Malcolm read out last week, was for their disobedience, that God raised up the Babylonians um, as discipline for his people. And so, um, at the same time, we can, um, because we can never um, uphold these instructions, these rules that have been given, um, mankind was then destined for an eternity, banished from the presence of God. And in his mercy and compassion, God provided a way through the law. And yet again, the people of God couldn't attain to that. And so God makes, another, makes a way through Jesus. And so Jesus comes to a lost world. Jesus comes into a world that has been robbed of their innocence, robbed of their peace, robbed of hope. And Jesus comes and spends his 33 years walking amongst them. Comes as one of God's people, as a Jew, walks amongst them and asks the same question. Where, where are you? Where are my people? Will you turn to me? Will you come to me? Will you come and find salvation in me? That's essentially Jesus' message. And because Jesus was, was perfect, because he was fully God and fully man, then sin has no hold over him. Everything he's done is perfect. Everything he's thought is perfect. Everything he's spoken is perfect. 
And so death actually has no hold over him. And what we see is when he dies on the cross, he dies for your sin and for my sin. It's a choice that he makes. The cross isn't a, a the cross isn't an accident. There is nothing um, accidental about what Jesus was doing on the cross. There was a deliberate intention where he was bold. And he said, I'm going to take on your sin. I'm going to take on your disgrace. I'm going to take on your shame. I'm going to take on your guilt. And I'm going to bear the cost of that on the cross. But you see, because sin has no hold over him, because death can't, can't contain him, he's then resurrected to life three days later. And now he'd ask the same question of us today. Where are you? Where is your heart at? Will you seek me? Will you turn to me? Will you come to me? Will you put your confidence in me? Will you trust that my death on the cross was sufficient for dealing with all of your sin? And it's not, it's not to highlight our flaws. It's not, to, it, it's not so that we can then receive punishment. But actually, it, it's an invitation for us to come and find reconciliation with God. To actually find healing in his presence for those wounds and consequences of sin that, that go really deep. And the Bible calls this, this turning away and trusting in Jesus, repentance. And that's the call, that's what all of us must do, is to turn away um, from these things. And maybe you've never put your trust in Jesus, and you're here this morning, and you know that actually you, you've never acknowledged that disobedience in your own life. And today is an opportunity to do that, to just come and put your confidence in Jesus' work on the cross. He's inviting you to come to find healing, to find purpose and identity in him. Or maybe you are a Christian here today. And there was a time that perhaps you had repented of your sin and trust in Jesus and death. But you know that in your heart, perhaps you've given yourself to certain things. You've sought to find peace in other situations or circumstances. Or maybe you know in your heart where you face decisions just like Daniel did and you've actually not taken a stand. Or maybe you have taken a stand but then you've manipulated circumstances and situations. Today is an opportunity to come and repent and just lay that before the Lord. It's interesting, isn't it? Daniel, Daniel could have just carried on with everybody else just eaten the food and just gone blissfully, ignorantly on his way. But he didn't. And even when he takes a stand and the answer comes back, he's like, no, but I feel this is right. And he then has to contend. And God gives him wisdom and understanding of knowing how to navigate that situation and circumstance. And I do genuinely believe that when we face those situations and circumstances, God does give us wisdom to know how to navigate those things. It says in James uh, chapter 1, verse 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. 
And you see, God is faithful to his word. Which means when we find ourselves in those situations, we're not to give way. But we're to remain steadfast and resolved and seek God for his wisdom. Not in an obnoxious way, not in an obstructive way, but in, in, in a way that, that communicates our heart and our love and our genuine affection for God and love for other people. See, Daniel knew the consequences of what he was asking for the chief of the eunuchs. And he knew the consequences for the steward. And yet he did it anyway. Because he was so, he was so steadfast and so resolute that he wasn't going to be defiled with the king's food. I'm going to pray. Um, why don't we stand to our feet? Um, I recognise this is this is this is a very this is a heavy topic. This is this is a heavy thing to deal with. But remember, Daniel, although he was in a spiritually in a very privileged position as one of God's people, he was a man in captivity. He he was a man that was ordered. Uh, to, to do things, to go certain places, to learn things, to eat things, to do all of those things. And there may be things, just even as I've been speaking, where you just know God's been just whispering to your heart certain circumstances or situations where you just, you just need, either, either you've given way and you've haven't, you haven't taken a stand, or, or, or maybe you've just given way and you know in your heart when you've crossed the line. You say, I, w- I, wish, I, wish, I wish I'd not said that or I wish I'd not done that. And I just feel like in this moment, um, God just wants to give us grace and wisdom um, to know how to navigate um, certain situations. Um, so if that's you, uh, why don't you just take a few seconds just to just pour out your heart to the Lord. Um, You can do that under your breath. You can do that quietly. You can do that in your head.